The following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. This morning we are completing, as I said, our series looking at serving, that our church is committed to transforming lives by the power of the gospel, and that we believe that a transformed life will have as component parts of that life visible and tangible expressions uh, of celebration, that we worship God, of deep community, that we live together in community with other believers, uh, that we share uh, not just um, a Bible study per se and prayer, but we share around God's word our hearts, that we eat meals together, that we live together. Uh, That we're renewing our hearts and our minds through the power of the Spirit and God's Word. Uh, That each week we are assailed and assaulted by uh, the things of uh, this world. And we need to be brought back to what truth is and how to understand those things. And that we serve the needs of others. And we've seen over the course of time that uh, serving is not a suggestion but an assignment that the Lord gives to us. And that we serve Him wherever He has placed us. And that we serve him in the same manner in which Christ served us. Uh, That if we've been served by Christ, then we go and serve like Christ. That we do so with great humility. Uh, That we're willing to to do the remedial uh, jobs uh, that uh, are there. That we're willing to, as it were, wash the feet of others in the name of Christ. Because he did that for us. And this week we are looking at the idea of this service has a costly nature to it, that there is a cost to serving Christ, to pursuing uh, his ministry and mission. And we're going to go to God's word in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 30. So if you have your Bibles, you can begin. Uh, You can see it's a little bit far over to the left uh, on your Bible, Old Testament, probably not a lot of oil marks from your hands and thumb marks there from you. Uh, in these historic narrative uh, sections, but one that I think will be a great blessing uh, to us today. So let's ask the Lord now uh, to bless his word. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Guide and direct us. Send your spirit. Would we, your people, hear from you today. In Christ's name, amen. Now to set the story just for a moment, David is the king of Israel. And there are different foes who are around him. And the Amalekites are one of the tribes uh, that were in opposition to um, David and to Israel. And the Amalekites, who are the descendants uh, of Esau, ultimately, who uh, were sent out from God's people, uh, that they have come and they've attacked a little uh, settlement called Ziglag. And they've taken everything from it, all the people, all the children, uh, all of the livestock, everything that's there, and they've burned it to the ground. And David now, with his army, uh, with really a select group of army, an army of 600, uh, are pursuing uh, this Bedouin uh, group of the Amalekites across the desert. And we pick up uh, here in verse 16. And when he had taken uh, him down, uh, behold, there... Uh, They, the Amalekites, were spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day, and not a man of them escaped except four hundred young men who mounted on camels and fled. 
David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. We're not going to discuss marriage at this point. Um, uh, nothing was missing, uh, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil, or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Bezor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children uh, and depart. Wasn't that nice? You can at least have your wife and kids back. Uh, They're such generous folk. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given to us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. We would, who would listen to you uh, in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from the day forward to this day. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing, the reading and hearing of it. Amen. A few things that we're going to look at briefly this morning about this costliness of the mission. The first thing that we want to consider together is that the mission that we have to serve others, to reach them by word and deed for uh, the gospel, uh, is to be understood in the context of a battle, that we are in uh, a battle, that each of us, secondly, have a role to play. We have differing roles uh, within this mission. That there's a costliness uh, to the mission uh, that we undertake. And then ultimately, how do we understand this in light of Christ? How do we understand all of this in light uh, of the gospel? Because some of you have already turned off your thoughts going, this is a history book. I hated history. Uh, It's just a bunch of names and a bunch of places in the ancient Near East. uh, That's the Middle East now. And and I don't understand it. And there's really nothing. I want to get to the New Testament where Jesus is. We're going to see Christ this morning. And I think you'll see him beautifully here uh, and be encouraged by it. But the first thing, there's a battle, and we're in the middle of it. There's a battle, and we are in the middle of it. Uh, and we have an objective. You know why we do what we do. It's important always to answer that question, why, that you've been given this objective. And the objective that Christ has given us, that we've spoken of before, in Matthew 28, it says, Go there in all the world and make disciples sharing uh, the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and yea, I'll be with you even until the end of the age. So we're on mission, that we're on task. We know what we're about. We know that we're going about in this world uh, to make disciples uh, for Christ, and that we are here on his behalf in a world that doesn't get it. You see, think of it this way. The church is an outpost of the kingdom of heaven. That God has established his church here at Hilton Head Presbyterian as a small outpost from his kingdom in heaven. Uh, My son Zach is heading to um, 
Los Angeles tomorrow because he's got to get a visa to go to South Africa, and he has to go to the South African consulate. And right there on Wilshire Boulevard in downtown L.A., uh, he's going to the South African consulate, and when he walks through the gates or through the doors of the South African consulate, guess what? He's standing on South African soil. It's an outpost of South Africa in the middle of the United States, in the middle uh, of Los Angeles. And there's a certain sovereignty, as it were, that they have over that space. God is saying the same thing about the church. You, the church, you're on mission from home. Your citizenship is in heaven. You are citizens of heaven and of the heavenly kingdom. And you have been given assignment while here on earth in the days that you've been given to be an outpost to go and make disciples to spread the news of the king to all of the world. How's the world receiving that so far? Boy, we love Christians. We love the message of the gospel. We'd like to have Christians in every venue. We want Christians in Hollywood. We want Christians in New York. We want Christians in LA. We want Christians in the rural parts. We want Christians. No, the world is in opposition to the kingdom of heaven. And so what we find ourselves in is a battle. And that's what David was in. David was in a pitched battle as the king of Israel going in and fighting against the enemies of the state. And so he understood that, and he was prepared for it, and so he went into battle prepped. Here's part of the problem uh, that I find for Christians. We don't realize we're in a battle. We've forgotten 1 Peter, uh, where he says, Hey folks, you have an enemy. It's not the Amalekites. It's not the Edomites. It's none of the mites of the Old Testament. But you have an enemy, and the enemy, the devil, is prowling around, and he is looking for someone to devour. He is in opposition to you, and the reason that he's in opposition to you is because you're a citizen of his arch enemy who defeated him. And he hates Christ, and he hates you for bearing Christ's name, and therefore you've got a proverbial target on you. And so he is going to come and attack. And so we recognize that we're in the middle of a battle, but our battle isn't against our neighbor. It's not against actually the culture per se, but it is against, as Ephesians 6 says, our battle is against principalities and powers of this present evil age. That we're in the midst of a battle and that we need to be prepped for battle. We need to be prepped for the war. We need to go out. And here's what's happened in the 21st century and the 20th century church, especially in America. Everything that's presented, by and large, to the Christian church is about what's going to happen. The beauty of being a Christian in heaven, and it's good to think about heaven, and it's good to think about Christ returning, and it's good to think about all of that. But folks, that's someday. For now, we just have foretastes of that. We get little glimpses of the table of heaven. We get little glimpses of what the fellowship will be like. We get little glimpses of the perfection. But while we're here, we're fighting. And the church has sort of forgotten that. And we haven't prepared our hearts. We haven't prepared our children. We haven't prepared our marriages. We haven't prepared uh, anybody to go out in the middle uh, of the battle. And we're not sending them out against Amalekites. We're sending them out against somebody who can kill a whole lot more than your body. And we wonder what's happening. Think about it this way. When's the last time, if you grew up in church, when's the last time you sang Onward Christian Soldiers? Anybody ever heard of that song? How about this? How many of you have never heard of that song? Okay, good. Have we sung it in the last decade? 20 years? Why? It doesn't sell well. 
Christians are supposed to be nice. We don't, we're not, we don't want to talk about a battle motif. We don't want to talk about a war. Uh, we want to come in and, and we, want, we don't like conflict. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a follower of the Prince of Peace, therefore I don't like conflict. People think I like conflict. They do. Some of you think, yeah, Bill loves conflict. He likes to argue. I really don't. It overwhelms me at times. Uh, but what I'm willing to do is fight the right battles. And what we need within the church, and it's exhausting, by the way, but what we need within the church is all of us, myself included, not to be passive anymore, but to say, listen, I'm here in this place, and I'm in the middle of a conflict, whether I like it or not. And one person who is a whole lot smarter than me said this, Satan's greatest victory in the United States is convincing Americans that he doesn't exist. That we don't think there's a spiritual battle going on, that we don't think, that we just think, and we know the end, by the way, who wins in the end? We do. Christ does. And we get to celebrate with him. So we know the end. And so in the meantime, we engage in this battle. David was in the middle of a battle. Do you think the 600 men who were with him knew that? Of course they did. They had an objective. They knew who the enemy was. They had been trained. They had been prepped. They had the proper weaponry. They had the proper uh, armor. They had everything that they needed to go out into the world to fight. Guess what? We're given the very same things. Ephesians 6, you've been given the armor of God. You've been given his word. Do you know it well enough to use it against the evil one? You know how the evil one works. What does the evil one's greatest weapon against you is what? Lying. So if he's speaking, guess what? You, can't, you can go, I don't need to believe that because you can only speak lies. But you need to know the truth in order to put the lie up against it. Say, so, no, 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 this is the truth. So we have the word of God. That we have the body of Christ. That we have friendships and deep community. See why we need deep community? Because we're in a battle. So the first thing, I think you were getting it. We're in a battle. Did y'all pick that up? First point. We're in a battle. The reason I keep saying that over and over and over again is that turns off some of you right now. You're already turned off. Oh, this is church again. I forgot. I hadn't come in so long. Now I'm back. They're talking about the battle. Folks, whether you believe it or not, you're in the midst of a battle. And if you don't sense any fighting going on in your life, that's a bad thing, by the way. But when there is the battle raging, Galatians 5, when the spirit is battling against the flesh, that's a good sign. That means the Spirit's at work in us when we see these things happening and doing them in the right way. So the first thing, we're in the middle of a battle. Second thing I want you to understand, each of us has a various role, a differing role within the battle. Each of us has a different role within the battle. Consider David, consider the army, consider who was going. David had a particular role. His role was to lead His role was to be the king. His role was to be the leader, to use the leadership gifts that God had given him to go and lead, the visionary gifts, those gifts that he had given him. He was going to go out and be a little bit more on the front. Then there were 600 men uh, who had started the journey with him. All 600 of them uh, were racing on camel and on donkey and on whatever they were doing, running uh, through to try to find the Amalekites uh, to go and to pursue them. And remember the topography of where they are. They're in the ancient Near East and they're in the Negev, uh, which is the Badlands. So they're out in the desert parts uh, and they're going around uh, and 400 of them uh, said, we're going to keep moving forward, sword in hand. And 200 of them said, we're exhausted. 
we're, we're exhausted. We have depleted all of the resources that we have. But we're still with you, but we're going to stay back here uh, with the baggage, and we'll take care of all of the valuables while you 400 go there. So there's leadership like David. There's those who are the foot soldiers, the 600, but some of the foot soldiers are the ones who are actually on the front lines uh, getting into uh, the melee and getting into the battle. And then there's a group of people who said this, you're part of the army and you've been fighting and you're there and you have the battle scars, but right now you're at a place in life where you're just tired. You're exhausted. You've done everything. Maybe physically you can't do some of those things. Maybe emotionally, whatever it is, but you've got an important role to play and you're staying back with the baggage. You're staying back and sending, as it were, those others into the pitched battle. So every one of us has a role. It differs, but it's a role and all the roles are equally important. Here's the deal. Do you know your role? Do you know your giftedness? Do you know who you are? What makes you you? What, what God, this makes your heart come up, those things which you can do for his kingdom. And we want to help as a church, help you identify those things. Robert Tanzel, our, our new pastor of spiritual formation, is going to be a part of that uh, to help you to identify those things. So you go out. And so sometimes you're going to recognize, I'm going to be in the lead role on this particular thing. And other times you may be just a foot soldier uh, out there. And other times you may stay back with the baggage because you're exhausted and you've done some things and you've just got to replenish your soul. And then you can go back out. And so those roles may vary and change. But do you know at all who you are and what the role are that God's given you to play because folks there's a grander story for you to be a part of it's God's unfolding mystery within the world and your life is larger than you think it is your story is larger than you think it is and he's placed you there and given you that role and the problem is that we look around and go I want his role her role looks better than my role i got to sit with the baggage and David gets to go and do all that. They sang songs to David. They didn't sing any songs to me. And we look around and we go, but the beauty of all of this and this story, they all shared equally in the glory and the spoils of the war. David was saying, no, 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 no. Every role that is a part of this army and a part of this nation, every role has dignity and value. Quick story that I've told you before. A pastor friend of mine had gone to Micronesia to, to minister with Wycliffe. And as he was there, he met an older gentleman, and he asked the older man, he said, what do you do for Wycliffe? What do you do uh, in, the, uh, in this ministry? And he says, I translate Bibles. And so the pastor was like, that's phenomenal. I'm sitting with a linguist. He can take this, uh, this basic aboriginal language and, and translate and write it so they get the gospel in their own language. That's stunning. And later in his visit, he saw the man, and the man was in the kitchen, and he was washing dishes. And he walked to the man, and he said, I thought you said you translated Bibles. He said, I do. I wash the dishes so that the people who have the linguistic degrees can do what they do best. I'm doing what I do best. But did you see how he saw it? I translate Bibles. There's nothing small about my role. I'm washing dishes. I'm cleaning up. I'm doing these things so that those who have a different set of gifts can use those gifts, but we're all on the same team that we're going to present the gospel in the language of these people. And I promise you, Satan wasn't very happy about that. But the beauty of the team that God has brought together and the army that God has brought together is all of the roles are equally honorable. Just on the other side of that wall. Do you know what's just on the other side of that wall? Babies. Lots of little babies. And there's some wonderful volunteers and some of our paid staff who are over there taking care of babies. 
You know how honorable that is to change a dirty diaper on a Sunday morning? It's of extreme honor because there's a parent, you, in here who can now listen and maybe you hear the gospel for the very first time and maybe your life is forever changed because someone was willing to safely take care of your baby. So if you ask one of our nursery workers, what do you do? I help to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform lives by the power of the gospel at Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. Oh, well, what's your role there? Are you one of the ministers? I am one of the ministers. I change poopy diapers. Isn't that awesome? But you all have different roles. We all have different roles. It's good that you don't all want to be me and I don't want to be all of you because we have different functions and roles within uh, the gospel ministry as we're in our outpost in the middle of a battle. So there's a battle. We each have differing roles uh, that are around. This battle that we're in, it can be costly. This battle that we're in bears a cost. There is a cost to be paid. And I want to make sure that we're upfront about that. So if you're here and you're listening and you're going, I haven't heard about the church in a while, I haven't been to the church in a while, I'm interested in Christianity, I want to present the proper picture to you. There's a costliness for following Christ. And for some, there's a beauty too. I mean, there's a glory in the midst of it, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, But there's a cost to it. And for some, at least one-third of the army were exhausted. One-third of the army had been pursuing the role that they were given as soldiers, foot soldiers for the king, and they were doing it, and they were doing it so well, and they were pursuing the enemy so well, and they were so engaged in the battle, mentally and physically, they were all in, all their chips were in, that they got to a point, and they looked up at David, and they went, I can't go any further. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Or maybe they bore a wound from a previous skirmish. Uh, Maybe uh, they were there, whatever the case is. But they got to a place and they said, we're tired. Any of you guys ever feel exhausted in doing good? That's it? Only a couple of you. Okay. We need to work on that, elders. Why do you think Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good things? Don't grow weary. Why? Because we grow weary. We get tired. A battle is a hard life. Go to Paris Island. Go down to Savannah. Go and speak to somebody in the military and go, what's it like to battle? It's exhausting. You've always got to be on your guard. You've got to be looking around. You've got to do all this. You're in the midst of a melee. You're fighting the battle. So there's exhaustion. And some of you are tired. And that's okay. There's an honorable position for tired soldiers. That's an honor to be tired. Because that means you've been doing something. Don't just be tired of watching Netflix. Be tired because you've been fully engaged in the life that God has given to you. For others of you, you're going to bear wounds. For others of you, you do bear wounds. You bear wounds of the gospel ministry. Some of you have been rejected by friends. We don't bear the wounds that so many of our brothers and sisters around the world bear, by the way. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world literally bear physical wounds. Deep and profound emotional wounds. Uh, from being beaten, from being martyred, from being separated from their families, from being jailed and imprisoned. We, We aren't there yet in our country, but we're not there. But we do have wounds. And that great uh, speech and Shakespeare and Henry V, uh, and he tells all the men, he said, hey, don't be ashamed of your wounds, but on St. Crispin's Day, when it comes around every year, would you stand up and unfurl your sleeve and put out your arm and say, I was there. I fought in the battle. This is an honorable scar that you stand with dignity and pride and go, I'm wounded. 
How many of you can do the same? It's an honor to be wounded for Christ because guess what? He was wounded for you. We're trying to live a scar-free Christian life in America. It's impossible considering our king bears scars. And if we're supposed to be just like him, guess what? We'll look like him in the midst of the battle. And so stand even if you're wounded. And then there's a costliness in this. We don't get to keep all the spoils of war. Doesn't seem right. In our world that says, hey, when you do something and you gain something, you get all of the glory from it. So if you go out and you share the gospel with your neighbor, who, guess who is supposed to get the glory? Not you. It's not a little notch on your belt. See, I got four today. I got four commitments today. I got four of these. I got this. No. We go out and we're in the midst of the battle and you're fighting this battle. And parents, you're fighting this battle for the hearts and souls of your children Children, some of you are fighting the battle for the hearts and souls of your parents. Some of you, as young people, there's some in our church, they're the only Christian in their family. And this, by the way, is their place to come and be healed from an exhausting week. So never diminish, never, you never know what really could be going on. But you're there, and you're fighting these battles, and you're this, and you see something great happen, and our natural tendency is to go, hey, sing a song to me. This is awesome. Our church, it grew. Hey, sing a song to Bill McCutcheon. Hey, Bill's great, got the spoils of the war. No, the costliness of the Christian battle is that we have to give the glory away. No, 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 it's not about me, it's about Christ. No, 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 all glory be to Him. All the spoils of the war, they go to Him. He is the one. I'm not the one, I'm just a messenger, I'm just a foot soldier. I'm just the one who gets to serve within the army. It's not about me, and that's what David did. David said, oh, you worthless fellows who would want to keep the spoils for yourself. The arrogance of that and the wickedness of that. No, it goes and it's distributed. And so we give praise and honor to the Lord. And guess what? When something great happens and we see the Lord do something in the church, we give thanks to those who are around us. We thank the nursery workers. We thank the guys who are cleaning the pots. And we go, look at this. We honor and give dignity to them. The world doesn't do that. But the church should. The church must. There's a costliness to it. You don't gain anything from it, by the way. Your status isn't any better. You're not going to walk into heaven one day and everyone's going to go, whoo. Hey, look who made it. Man, look at the medals on her chest. Wow. Look at all she did. No, because guess what? There's one who everybody pales in comparison to. And everybody walks into heaven and goes, whoo, Christ. And you're drawn to him. And that's the last point we've got to wrap up. None of this makes sense unless you understand the true David. King David was a foretaste and a pointer to somebody else. There is a true David, Christ, the true king from the lineage and the house of David, who came and he fought a battle against our ultimate enemy on the cross at Calvary, and he absolutely defeated him, and he bears the scars of that, but he went through the battle, pitched as it was, and he won the victory, and he's gained all the spoils of war, and we have a defeated enemy who's going off the field. He's trying to take a few people with him, and he's still ticked off by it, but he's lost. He hates the fact that he's lost, and he hates that he can't do anything about it because Christ is one, and Christ is such an incredible, generous king that he says this, I'm going to share the glory with you. I won salvation. And I imagine the angels and all of them around heaven went, what are you going to do with this salvation over sin and death? You've just beaten sin and death. What are you going to do with it? He goes, I'm going to give it away to the knuckleheads down on earth. What? I'm going to share my glory I'm going to share the spoils of my war 
of my victory with those who don't deserve it. And I'm going to give it to them with the full expectation that they don't keep it for themselves, that they give it away, that they share my victory with everybody who's around them. Folks, Scripture doesn't make sense without Christ. What we engage in doesn't make sense without Christ. Christ has won. And he wasn't selfish in his victory. But he gave away that which was rightfully his, and he gave it to you. And he said, here's life. Here's salvation. So with that, here's what we're asking you to do today. And you're going, ah, here's the ask. Here's the ask. Guess what? Here's the ask. We've given these to you. We sent them. Uh, we gave them to you last week. They've been available this week. Uh, they're there in front of you. What we're asking you to do is join the battle. And you can join it in three different roles. You can join it as a prayer warrior. You can join it as one uh, who is praying for the front lines. Maybe you're exhausted. Maybe you can't go out. Maybe you're sitting with the baggage. But guess what you can do? You can be praying with those who are doing another function in another role. And so you commit and you pray for Katie. You commit and pray for the Birches. Uh, You commit and you pray for those who are doing it uh, locally and around the world. You pray for them in that way. Maybe you pray and you mark on there. You commit to consider going on a trip. How many of you have never gone on a short-term mission trip? Come on, way up. There's a pretty good pool of folks who've never done it. You're probably like, I'm never going to do it. Uh, But we want to sort of invite you into that. And some of you who've gone to go back, and we want to have meaningful impact uh, by serving the needs of others, by going on a trip. And then the final one is financial. And the way I want you to consider that is this. Consider us at the church. Many of you already support missionaries and agencies around the world that you've known, and that's awesome. We're not asking you to stop doing that. But for many of you, it's like me getting into the stock market. I don't understand stocks. I don't know what to buy. I don't know what not to buy, so I trust a broker who knows what to do, and so he gets my money, and then he puts it into good places. We are in that way looking out for you by vetting these ministries and vetting these missionaries, making sure that they align with our values, align with our understanding of the Scriptures, and that we're taking your money and we're keeping not one dime of it for ourselves, but we are then disbursing it out to those like Katie who are out there. Because guess what? None of you would have heard, many of you probably wouldn't have known that Katie Crow was doing Capernaum ministry. But wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Well, you can be by supporting this, and then it gets to go out to her And you can support her on your own outside of that. So that's what this is. So I'm going to invite Matt, the team, to come on up.